us this important word. So, Father, we pray over the word of the Lord tonight. We apply the blood over the word. And you may want to make sure all audio is cut off as well. But, Lord, we thank you. We apply the blood over everything. We bind the enemy away from the word of God, command him to release and back off away from the word. Lord, we bless this time. I pray that you'll anoint me and speak through me your words of life, that everything will be spoken and, and accomplished through this, that your will to be done, that you'll speak through me words like living seeds of truth sown in a good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit of people's lives and families and bloodlines and households, that this word will go out and be planted in the good fertile soil of lives. And as the Spirit of God waters that seed, it will grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, let your word go out. Let there be a washing of the water of the word of God. Let there be light shining and dispelling all darkness, lies, evil, and deception of the enemy. And just um, get rid of all of that. Just purge that out of people's minds, out of their lives. All that darkness. The, the enemy's deceptions, that that's just purged out. And the light of truth and revelation will shine into people's homes and lives and families. And Lord, this will go out like a mighty hammer that just shatters any strongholds. It's the sword of the Lord, the word of God, that will cut away what needs to go, bring life and bring revelation, bring truth. And Lord, I pray this word of God uh, will produce like a righteous stronghold, so to speak, like when Jesus taught that the house that's built, rather, you know, one house is built on sand, another house is built on the rock. And it's the one that, that obeyed Christ's teaching, the rock that was established when the storms came. And we pray that, that Lord, that um, this word, this series will be used of you to produce like a solid, strong foundation and like a healthy, godly, righteous stronghold that can weather storms. And, Lord, our families will become strengthened and their roots will go down deep and they'll be an establishing of something on kingdom principles that the enemy cannot shake. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this now. We bind the enemy. You're not going to hinder this. I feel that God's really wanting to use this series. And so, Lord, we pray that everything be accomplished, your will to be done. Let the wind of the Spirit carry this where it's supposed to go and let your angels guard and protect it and make sure it gets every place it's supposed to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start a series today on love, family, and marriage. And I'm going to talk about part one about clearing away the baggage. But I want everybody to please listen to me. I want you to be able to take notes, okay? I want you to be able to really follow along. So if you need something to take notes or whatever, now's the time. Get things, get ready, because I really want people to get everything out of this that God has for you, okay? It's this important word. And I also want you to take these notes home with you. And so you can pray over them. I feel that my, my wife and I, that I have, um, I have a, a level of authority to speak along these lines. Because, you know, I've had to apply kingdom principles. And in this area of life, I have had betrayals. And so has my wife as well. We've both had betrayals, like a Judas betrayal. In, in the family structure. And so it's been extremely painful. But God has um, brought us through all of that and brought us together. But my wife and I had a lot of things working against us. Um, we both had been through so much. We had some inner healing God had to do. 
and there were some generational things God had to break it, especially with um, her bloodline, you know, and people know her story. But there was so much that was working against us. And so for us now to have a happy home, a home that's in order and is blessed, and for it to be like it is, we had to apply kingdom principles. A lot of times when people speak along these lines, they use a lot of secular psychology, and they use a lot of worldly literature. And I know that there's some wisdom here and there to glean from. I'm not denying that, but I believe that if we can get back to the Word of God, everything that we really need is in the Word of God. It just needs to be brought out so that we can apply it and understand it. And so I and my wife as well, we made up our mind that that we're going to apply kingdom principles to our lives. And this is the truth. I'm not saying this because they're here or anything like that, but they'll tell you. um, My favorite, uh, probably my favorite thing in life outside of being in God's presence, okay, spend time with Jesus. Number two would be, I love being at home, um, just spending time with my family, and that's the truth. And not everybody can say that. But it came from applying kingdom principles and God doing a powerful work in our family, and then through that, we have a happy home, a blessed home, okay? And we can, in, in Christ, all things are possible, and we can have that. But there's a lot of people that if they were to be honest, they would have to admit that they don't come from homes where there was an example set that they could follow that example. I was blessed in a lot of ways. My parents um, are amazing. You guys know them, so you know that. Okay, I have really good parents, and I was thankful for that. I mean, they, they weren't perfect, but they were wonderful parents, okay? And they're very, they've always been wonderful parents. So I'm very thankful I've always had their support. Um, but not everybody can say that. Most people come from homes that they are either broken homes, they had either a single dad or a single mom, or they had a lot of strife or a lot of things that were out of order. Or maybe the husband wasn't the leader and the wife tried to run the show and there was a lot of fighting. And so they really didn't have a godly example. Uh, my mother's testimony, my mother did not have a good example at all of, of a family. She did not grow up in a, in a godly home at all. It was not a Christian home. And it wasn't even a healthy environment at all. So um, God has to, to do a work, but he can. Amen? Is that my wife as well. My wife did not have a godly example growing up of what a Christian woman or a mother is supposed to be like or what a home is supposed to look like. And so, but with Jesus, he can come in and clear all that out. And you can establish your life on, on kingdom principles and have an awesome family, Okay. So let's dive into this. I'm going to dovetail from last week. I finished my series on the spine of prophecy, my mini-series, right? And I got that done finally. And I talked a little bit about a home, so I'm going to kind of dovetail from that into this series. But Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus said again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done, to, by, done for them by my Father in heaven. Sorry. So it's agree on earth. Now, it's this word here, agree, in the Greek, I looked it up, and it's where we get our word symphony from. It's really interesting. So, whenever you look at this, let me, let me explain it like this. This is kind of from last week as well. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're, they're, God is three but one. 
And he made us in his image. We are a spirit, a soul, a body. But even though we're three, we're one. We're one person. And in the family structure, God has three categories. He has the father, he has the mother, he has the children. So you have three categories in a home. And it's interesting because in music, those of us that, that play a little bit of music know that chords are made up of three notes. So you take, for example, the, the chord C, and you have a C note, an E, and a G, and you play all three notes together, and you get the chord C. And it sounds really pretty, but if you take three notes that are not supposed to be together and you just slam down on the keyboard like that it sounds horrible it, it creates this this discorded sound that it and nobody wants to hear it so the word symphony where it says here if two will agree on earth about anything agree come into agreement that word in the greek is where we get the word symphony from and it has to do with harmony and it's really interesting because there's almost, if you look up the Greek word and look at look at the phonetics, it's like uh, something like a symphonio or something like that. But it's, it's where we get the word symphony from. So it's like there's this harmony, this agreement that God's wanting our homes and our families to come together in. And it's almost like the way you put those notes together to make a chord and it creates a beautiful sound. And that's what God wants coming out of our homes. But for us to be in agreement like that, Here's the main thing I'm going to tell people. Man, you need to, to circle this, highlight this, go home and get a chisel and a stone, okay, and chisel this, put it somewhere where you're not going to lose it. <laughs> but the most important advice that I can give anybody in a family as a pastor, being in a ministry for many, many years, is this. Number one is your prayer needs to be, Lord, help me be what I need to be in this family. And quit trying to fix everybody else. And you try to you just ask the Lord, help me to be what I need to be. Because I think some of the biggest problems in homes is everybody trying to fix everybody. First off, that's God's job. And secondly, there needs to be that unconditional love there where we love people in spite of their, their imperfections because nobody's perfect. So... That's the first thing I would say is that you pray and your spouse and young people too. They need to pray, Lord, help me to be what I'm supposed to be in this family, in this structure. If I'm, if I'm a young person living at home with my mom and dad or whatever, help me, Lord, to be um, under their authority and to honor them and to be Christ-like and be what I'm supposed to be, to be a blessing to them, that it's a joy to raise me. I'm not difficult. And if it's a wife, Lord, help me to be submitted in honoring my husband and building him up and being what I need to be. Help me. And a husband, what a responsibility. You know, you're, we're responsible for how things turn out with that family. When you stand before God, you're not just going to give an account for yourself. You're going to give an account for how your family turned out too. But Lord, you know, as a husband, Lord, help me be the husband I need to be to have wisdom to hear from you and be led by your spirit and, and and be the spiritual leader and be what I need to be to this family. So that's number one, is that we pray God help us be what we need to be. Number two is humility. That right there is the, probably the most important thing outside of love. We all know, we all know. That's why I'm not even really going to preach on love tonight, because we all know that we need love. That, that goes without saying. So, Lord, fill us with your love. Give us more of your love. Help us to love people more than we ever have. We need his love. 
But I'm not going to dwell on that because I think that we all kind of know that. But let me tell you about humility. I'm going to close this sermon talking about humility. So I'm not going to sidetrack right now. But that is probably the most important thing in a family is true humility. It's like, for example, if you start up a car, you pop the hood and you look into the thing, you can see that there's components in that car that are going to be rubbing together. I mean, they're, they're coming together like this. And that car, that engine is running. But see, there's an oil that's in that car that goes through, all through that engine that's, that's lubricating those things rubbing together so that if that oil was removed, those parts would just lock in place and that engine would lock up and that car is not going anywhere. That oil is what provides the lubricant so everything can flow together. And that's exactly what humility is in a family. Humility will cause everything to be functioning like it's supposed to be. And let me give you one example of humility, and then I need to move on. But there's a pastor I know that he did a a study. God taught him about the power of blessings and curses back years ago. But he was telling this story that he had no idea. He did not know that the power of our tongue, that there's life and death, and that you can literally speak blessings over people or you can speak curses over people he really didn't know understand that and so maybe joking around or maybe even sometimes when he was irritated even though he was a wonderful guy he probably he said he felt like he said some things to his wife or his kids in the way of just being negative that those negative words he kind of spoke over him like a curse and so when God taught him all this he asked the Lord to forgive him for that but he went to his wife and, and asked her to forgive him of course she said yeah I mean that's and he went to the kids, he had two sons, and he told his kids, he said, I want you to forgive me because I feel like I've said some things that were not really what I need to speak over you. And of course, they're, they're like, oh, Dad, don't worry about it. It's not. But he was like, no, listen, this is serious. God showed me that it's actually serious, and I was speaking things, and I want you to forgive me. And they're, they're kind of like, all right, yeah, of course, you know. And then he spoke a blessing over them, and he changed after that. He said he really watched what came out of his mouth. But that's a good example of humility. Instead of justifying it or whatever, he just humbled himself, said, God, forgive me, and went to the family and asked forgiveness. And and all of a sudden, you see what I'm saying? When we humble ourselves like that, the family structure can function with ease. There's There's that oil is there to keep things smooth. All right, so the symphony of heaven. We know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they're all God, and so... God the Son, Jesus, okay, when he came to earth, he was wrapped in flesh. He got his flesh from Mary's womb. He's wrapped in flesh. He's God in the flesh, walking the earth. But he's just as much God as the Father. And it's interesting because Philippians says that even though he was equal to God, he did not consider that, but he humbled himself. And the reason Jesus came was to glorify the Father. And so he, he humbled himself to glorify the Father. Now the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father or the Son. He is God. God Almighty. But the Holy Spirit does not come to glorify Himself. He comes to glorify Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit humbles Himself to glorify the Son. And because of... Do you you see where I'm going with this? There's humility here. God is full of humility... 
that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, there's this humility that they're not clashing with one another trying to compete for the glory <laughs> or trying to fight with each other or whatever. There's this humility and, what, and it causes the Godhead there to be this, um, this symphony of working together in perfect harmony. And so God wants that in us, that in our homes, there is the husband that's the leader, okay? He's the one that's making the decisions. He's the headship, the authority. But the wife will humble herself and come under that authority. Like Jesus humbled himself under the Father's authority, that she'll humble herself. And it takes humility to submit to authority. She'll humble herself under that authority and submit to that authority. And then children will humble themselves under their parents' authority. So that's the first thing I'm going to say, but I'm not really going to talk about order in the home tonight so much. I'm going to mainly talk about inner healing. But there's, that's the first thing, that we have that humility and we're coming together in unity. Listen, Satan, it says in the Bible that a kingdom divided can't stand. So I'm telling you, a home that's divided cannot stand. The Bible says it. If, if you have a home that's divided, it will crumble. And Satan knows that. So Satan is trying to divide homes. Satan is the god of divorce. He's the god of um, family alienation. He's the god of estranged relationships. He wants to tear up homes and scatter them. Okay, but God is the God of healing and unity, love and humility and restoration. He'll restore. So, the law of reciprocity, which is this, this. There's a law about sowing and reaping. If I take something, I'm not going to try to do it while I preach, but if I had a ball in hand, there's a law right now in the earth of gravity. Okay, we're all not standing here with the fear that we're just going to start floating everywhere. Okay, there's gravity here holding us all to the earth, right? So this is a law that's set in motion. If I have a ball in my hand and I throw the ball up, we all know the ball's coming back down. Okay, so it's a law. So God has set things in place in his scripture where it talks about the law of sowing and reaping. So what you sow, you will reap. It's a law. You're throwing the ball in the air. It's going to come back now. It's not like God's up there going, just waiting for somebody to mess up, and I got you now, okay? <laughs> That's not what God does. God has just simply set these things in motion. He says, if you do this, this will happen. And he's, he's set this law in motion of sowing and reaping. And so in a family, this is just one of many examples. I mean, you can use this same law about a lot of things, but... In a family, if, for example, if a husband comes in and he's, he's really hard on his wife and kids, he's kind of abusive and he's talking down to them like they're stupid and uh, maybe he neglects them. There's, there's some husbands that are so busy working all the time, making money, they kind of, they're gone all the time. They neglect their family. And so he's sowing that. Later on, he's going to reap the fact that he's got a family that doesn't really know him and they're not really unified and things are not the way it's supposed to be. Do you see what I'm saying? And let's say that a wife comes in and she is 
tearing down the husband. Now, the husband, she really needs, even though she may not realize it, she desperately needs him to be a spiritual covering to her. That's her biblical covering. She needs that more than she can probably ever know, right? But if she comes in and she's always saying negative things to him and tearing him down and kind of wounding him to where he doesn't even have the confidence to really be a leader, then, number one, she really wants quality time with him, but to be honest, he's probably not going to want to spend time with her. There's husbands that go to work, and I've worked with some of them over the years, that they would rather be anywhere else but home because they know as soon as they come in the door, it's just going to be all this nagging and complaining and negativity toward them. And they just worked all day. And they would rather go somewhere else. What I'm saying is, she doesn't realize it, but she's sowing this negativity and this nagging and this saying stuff to him that's tearing him down, maybe insulting him like he's an idiot in front of his kids. And she's causing him to not have what he needs as far as confidence to be the leader and to not even want to be around her. And so she's going to reap that in her life. She sowed that, and now she's going to reap that her husband's not really rising up to being the leader she needs him to be, and he doesn't even really want to be around her. But she sowed that. And so there's this law of sowing and reaping. If you want a strong husband, if a wife wants a strong husband, she needs to bless him and she needs to build him up. Pray for him and build him up. And she needs to, um, you know, make the home in a warm and inviting place, not some place he dreads to come home to. Does this make sense? All right, so there's a sowing and reaping. Then number three, I would say that this is a huge important issue, but I'm not going to preach on it in this series because I've preached on it so much in the past with the Seductions of Satan series. You can go on our website and look that up. We have a sermon download page. But anyway, there's a Seductions of Satan series I did on deliverance. But this is extremely important. But I'm just going to mention it and move on. But we have like a deliverance questionnaire in our church where people that need deliverance from generational curses and other things that they have in their life from the past, maybe they, they were mixed up in the occult or maybe they were sexually active outside of marriage and, and or maybe they were involved in gangs or whatever. And in their family, maybe there's stuff in their family like divorce and, and sexual sins, the occult or whatever there. And they, they need to get rid of all that junk. They don't need to carry that garbage into their future home and family. And so we have this deliverance questionnaire that people can fill out. And if they're brutally honest, they'll go through and admit everything they need to and talk about their family history and everything. And, of course, we lead them through praying about all that and just clearing away all the baggage. Getting all, if there's any generational curses, directly breaking that filth and just clearing all that away. So when they come together, they're not bringing that, okay? That's number one. So let me say, I'm not going to preach on it in this series, okay? But let me just mention it, that it is extremely important. I can't express to you how important it is. But yet I've been shocked at how many people, my wife and I will agree on this both, that there's a lot of people over the years that don't seem to think it's important. (laughs) 
But it's very important that people go through that and just cleanse anything, shut any door to the enemy, just cleanse any junk out of their life spiritually so that they don't carry that into their marriage and carry that and pass it to their children, that it's cleared away, okay? All right, now, this is kind of where I want to start this series. So for us to have this healthy home, and there's a harmony, there's this humility, there's this harmony coming together, and we know God wants it that way, one of the most important things that I can express is also in the realm of inner healing. And I'm going to explain that. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body, we all know your physical body, okay? But your soul area is your intellect and your emotions. To make it just real simple for this series, okay? I'm not going to rabbit trail on this big long thing about it. But your soul area is your intellect. It's the part of you that has a personality, what makes you laugh and cry, your emotions and your intellect, okay? But your inner, your inner spirit man, your inner spirit man is the deepest part of your being, and it is just like your physical body, but it is a spirit body. Does everybody understand? It's just like your physical body, but it's a spirit body. So when you die, your body goes into the grave, but your spirit man, along with your soul, your personality, is going to go either to heaven to be with God or hell to be with the devil, depending on how you live. So your soul area can be damaged. So we're talking about first soul wounds, psychological and emotional damage people have been treated maybe like they're worthless they've been through abuse like mental emotional abuse and maybe in the mind the 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 realm of your intellect they've kind of believed about themselves that they're worthless or they won't amount to anything they just they've accepted because they've been psychologically damaged by maybe an abusive parent that told them they were stupid and wouldn't amount to anything or something like that. And emotionally, they've had a broken heart in life. They've been through things that have broken their emotions. They're wounded, okay? And God wants to heal that realm of the soul. So let me show you a few scriptures. If somebody's been psychologically or emotionally damaged, The Bible promises us in Psalm 23, verse 3, it says that he, speaking of God, restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake, but he restores my soul. God wants our soul area to be healed and whole. Because when you have people come together and live together, if you've got all these wounded, damaged people living together, the tendency is to keep wounding and damaging each other. All right, the second scripture is this, 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So your level of prosperity and your level of health has to do with your soul prospering. Let me say that again. Your level of prosperity in life, your level of health in life 
has to do with your soul prospering. A prospering soul is a healthy soul. A soul that has agreed mentally with the Word of God and has been healed from any psychological damage that you no longer believe those lies of the enemy. You no longer believe the lies that people have told you. And you no longer believe the lies you've told about yourself. That you're worthless and no good and all this stuff. How could God love me? And all the the things people believe about themselves. Those are lies of the enemy. And when psychologically all that junk is cleared out of the mind and God heals that intellectual area, heals that soul where it comes into agreement with what the Bible says that we're adopted as sons and daughters and God loves us, okay? And then emotionally, that where people been through stuff in life or maybe they went through a very painful relationship that was broken or they had a broken home, something happened where it broke their heart. And that God comes in and he heals the broken heart. Now, there's even a deeper wound than the soul. This has surprised some people, but there's a deeper wound than the soul. And it's where somebody has a, a broken spirit. And let me show it to you in the Bible. So picture it this way. Satan wants wounded people. So he tries to cause things to happen that will psychologically and emotionally hurt somebody, okay? But if the wound goes deep enough where it's really deep, it can actually break the spirit. It can get to the human spirit, and they have like a broken spirit, a crushed spirit. And let me show you that. Proverbs 17, verse 22, he said, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That's a crushed spirit. That's not a soul. That's the spirit. In Proverbs 18, 14, the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. I believe that a crushed spirit a lot of times has to do with a um, deficient immune system. I believe that when people's gotten to the place that they've been wounded emotionally, but it went so deep that it broke their spirit that it actually affects their immune system and it affects their health. I believe that from these scriptures right here. A human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. All right, but here's the promise in the scripture. This is really not a hard thing for God, but we have to know how to recognize it and how to pray. So Luke 4.18 says this, the spirit of Jesus got up in the synagogue and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, all the people that were there, he was reading this, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty them that are oppressed and proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. So we can see that the Lord comes in with healing. So the Lord can heal the wounded spirit and can heal the wounded soul. And he wants to. He wants us to be healed and whole so that we can be useful for his kingdom and so that we can be happy and healthy and blessed and we can lead normal lives. When people are very, very wounded and broken people, they cannot live really, truly normal lives because they have a hard time relating to other people. They really do. And so it shows up in their workplace and it shows up in their home. So 
here's step number one. Now, I'm going to show everybody how to pray, and I hope that you have a pen or some way of jotting this down, because here in a moment, I'm on, later, I'll give you some things to show you how to pray. But let me just show you this. The very first thing we got to do, everybody say number one. We have to be willing to forgive other people. If we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. And that right there is a block. When somebody says, well, I'm just not willing to forgive them. They did, what they did was too much. All right? But you're, there's no way that you're ever going to progress in God. And it's very concerning to me where you're going to spend eternity because the Bible says your sins are not forgiven if you don't forgive other people. But you're definitely not going to have God's blessing. You're not going to have answered prayers. And you're not going to move forward in God at all until you're willing to forgive people. And so let me show you the scripture that Jesus gave concerning forgiveness in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Peter was thinking he's being real righteous, you know. <laughs> seven times this guy did the same thing seven times lord you know and jesus said to him i do not say to you up to seven times but 70 times seven times i imagine peter just mouth dropped you know but listen here's here's jesus explaining this for this reason he gives this parable the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves when he had begun to settle them one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, this is a large sum of money. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had to, so repayment would be made. So you've got to picture what's about to happen. This man and his wife and children are about to be sold into slavery and scattered. It's not like the same family is going to buy all of them. I mean, this would be devastating. He's about to lose everything. So the slate, he falls down to the ground before this king and says, have patience with me. I'll repay you everything. And so the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. So, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just let him go and say, pay me at, in the next 10 years or something. He, didn't, he just forgave the debt. But the slave goes out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a couple hundred denarii. <laughs> denarii. This is not much money, okay? Owed him a small amount of money. He seizes him and begins to choke him. So you picture he's got him up against the wall choking. You're going to give me my couple hundred dollars right now, you know. Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he could pay back what he owed. So he refused to forgive a small debt. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported it to the, the Lord, the king, all that had happened. Then summoning him his lord said to him you wicked slave i forgave you this big debt because you pleaded with me should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave and in the same same way i had mercy on you and his lord was moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him 
And Jesus said this right here in verse 35. I'm quoting straight from the Bible. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. From your heart. Okay. So, forgiveness is probably the main thing that holds people back. They don't truly forgive from their heart and let it go. So before you can move forward and have a healthy family and a normal life, you're going to have to be willing to forgive whoever it is that that hurts you in life. And some people say, man, you know, it was so bad. I understand. I've been through some tough things that would probably surprise you. I don't like to talk about it. My wife has too. But we have to forgive everybody. I mean, we want to go to God. And this parable, obviously, is very simple to understand. But we want to go to God and have, have him forgive all these sins that we've done. And all of us have a lot of things that we need to be forgiven from in our whole life. And then we want to hold it against somebody that wronged us a couple times. Now, granted, it could be really bad. I mean, they could have done something horrible. But, you know, God is saying to us, look, you want my forgiveness. You're going to have to be willing to forgive others. So here's what you need to do. Now, I want everybody to hear me. This sermon can change your life if you apply it. There's a difference between hearing it and doing it. Okay? If you'll apply this, if you'll take notes, if you'll take this home, put it in your room and pray about these things and be serious about it, I'm telling you, it can literally change your life. So number one, make a list of people you need to forgive. Make a list. And you need to forgive them. Now, here's what you do. I want everybody to please hear me about forgiveness. Some of you are calling to the ministry, and you need to, you need to be able to teach other people what forgiveness is and what it's not because it can be confusing. Number one, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. And you, for example, may not trust that person again, and you may not really have a lot of respect for them, but you still choose to forgive them. Meaning this, let me give you an example. Let's say that somebody came to me and said, Pastor Scott, I, man, I desperately need like a thousand bucks or something, you know. They're like, okay, but I really need, all right, so I managed to get a thousand dollars to him. And he says, I will repay you in a month. A month passes, he doesn't repay anything. Two months pass, three months pass. Pretty soon I realize he's just not going to pay it back, okay. And so... I forgive the debt. I forgive him for what he did. But then he wants to come back six months later. Pastor Scott, I desperately need $1,000. Do you think I'm going to give him another $1,000? No. Why? Because I don't trust him to pay it back. I still love him and I forgive him. But, I, you know, so there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. They're different. Number two, you're not going to probably feel the warm fuzzies this person all right i wrote this down and started laughing when i wrote it down there's actually in the notes you're probably not going to feel warm and fuzzy toward this person okay you're probably going to still have hurt feelings toward them but that doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them forgiveness is a choice so you forgive them but still you may still kind of feel that a little bit of hurt okay god's going to have to heal that but that doesn't mean you didn't forgive them and number three you may not have that person in your life anymore. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because how many of you guys know not everybody is good for us? 
And if somebody is the type of person that keeps causing pain in your life, it's probably a good thing that they're not in your life intimately. But it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. You just don't feel like that they need to be a part of your life anymore. Does that help? Because I think a lot of times people think, well, if I truly forgive them, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing and, and... it doesn't mean that you don't forgive them just because they're not going to be a major part of your life and your best friend and real close and all this, you know. It doesn't mean you don't forgive them. You just don't feel like they need to be a part of your life. And I have people in my life, good or bad, whether they, they were a blessing at one time or not, it was interesting to me because, especially with the advent of social media, I see people that were a part of my life years ago. I'm talking about 20 years ago when I first became a Christian and started getting into the ministry, that... I, st- I mean, we didn't have a falling out. We're still, um, we're still friends, so to speak, but they're just not a part of my life. It was like they were a real important part of my life then, but they're not now. And there's people like that, that God will use them in your life for a season, but then it's like now your life is over here and you're doing this. And it- So sometimes the people that were in your past, they really aren't meant to be in your present. And you don't need to try to necessarily bring them into your present. They were meant for your life then, but not so much now. And we need to understand the difference. All right. So when people don't forgive others, it turns into bitterness. What bitterness is, I want you to picture roots growing down inside of you. It's like how many of you guys have ever dug up a plant or you have potted plants and you saw those roots down in the soil. There can be roots down in people's hearts. And these are bitter roots that grow down into them. And it's because they haven't forgiven. And so these bitter roots take up. And people that have bitterness a lot of times will have health problems, will have difficulty in relationships because they have an anger problem and they're bitter. How many of you guys can say that you've known bitter people? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one that when I get old, I'm some old bitter man. How many of you guys have... I've known some old people that are the sweetest people you could ever meet in your life. So sweet, so wonderful. And I've known some old people that just got bitter, and they're mean. You know, and that, it's how people handle stuff in life. Are they are they going to be a forgiving person and let things go, and they and they carry that throughout their life, and even when they get old, they're full of the Lord, full of the joy of the Lord, or are they going to harbor stuff throughout their life and they get old and they're they're mean and bitter and angry and and nobody likes to be around them. So bitterness is a result of not forgiving others. And the Bible warns us in Hebrews twelve fifteen: see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. So a bitter root can not only defile you as a person if you allow it, but it can actually defile everybody around you. So see, Jesus raises the standard. Now I'm going to give everybody how to pray here in a minute. I'm going to tell you, These prayers work. What I'm going to tell you tonight, trust me, they work. God can cleanse out of you in a moment. He can wash any bitter root out. I think a lot of times people think it's some big, long thing. I mean, sometimes healing can take time, but but God can flush out that stuff and give you a love and heal those wounds. All right, but Jesus raises the standard. When Jesus came to the earth, he raised the standard. Meaning this, he would get up and say something like this. Hey, all of you have heard, don't commit adultery, right? And everybody says, yes, we've heard that. He says, but I tell you, 
If you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he raises the standard. Why? Because the children of Israel before Christ, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help them live on that level, you know. And so God didn't require it. But now that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit with the Spirit of God living within us, his, his uh, grace, because of the Spirit living in us, his grace empowers us to the place to where we can live at that standard. And not only that, Jesus said, you've, you've heard it said not to murder your brother, not to murder somebody. And it, they all agree, yeah, we've heard that. And he says, but I tell you that if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he's raising the bar. So I'm saying that because I'm about to show you some things where he raised it right here. So Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now I'm going to come back to that later because that's a very important scripture. But he says, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by the standard you measure to be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the big log that's in your own eye? So this is why I was talking about throwing the ball in the air and it comes back. Sowing and reaping. When you sow judging others, it comes back on you the same way. It's just a law that's set in motion. And I'll explain that here as we go. But look at Matthew 5, verse 22. This is really interesting. He said, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. See, he's raising the bar. This was not in the law of Moses, that so you can't be angry with somebody. But Jesus is raising the bar. He's saying, you've got to forgive and let it go. You can't harbor this stuff. Now, look at this. He also says, whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Well, somebody says, what is Raka? What it means is worthless. <clears throat> so it's insulting somebody, making somebody feel like they're worthless. And I've, I've actually had people treat me like that, okay, that you're a worthless piece of junk or whatever, you know. But when you treat people that they're worthless and, and you say things to them like that, that you're you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, you're just, you know, there's people that are like that, they treat others like that, they may say it, or they may make them feel that way, but Jesus said here, if you do that, if you say that to your brother, worthless, that you're no good, you're worth nothing, you insult them like that, he's saying you're in danger of the council, and I believe it has to do with the heavenly council, and then he says, but whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire, wow, that's a serious warning. See, a lot of times I think people read over this stuff and just kind of gloss over and keep going. This would be something to stop here for a minute and think about this. This is, when Jesus says you're in danger of hellfire, I think it deserves some meditation. You know where it says meditate on the word? I think that that deserves a little bit of meditation. So, and this really convicted me, okay, when I read this and studied this in times past because the modern like you say, thou fool, okay, a modern way that people do this is by calling somebody an idiot or a moron. That I'm just telling you what the Bible said. This is what Jesus said. Like, and I've done this just like everybody else. Okay, I've done this. Or, you know, driving down the road and somebody does something, man, that guy's an idiot, you know. Yeah, but that's that's what he's talking about. And once I realized, I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, and I... And I've done my best to stop saying stuff like that completely, okay, in my Christian walk. 
But I'm going to tell you, that it's very serious not to, to speak things like that. So you see where Jesus raises the bar, right? So he's raised the bar, bar in regards to judging. Remember I said earlier, do not judge or you'll be judged with the same measure you judge out. It'll come back on you. Okay. This, what I'm about to teach, could radically change some people's lives if they hear it and if they apply it. But all of us have done this, have judged others, and we have to learn these things. You know, we have to learn to not harbor things. We have to learn to forgive. We have to learn to stop saying things like somebody's an idiot, you know, or, or treating people. That we, we, in our Christian walk, we change. We grow in Christ. But one of them is we've got to learn to stop judging. And it's so easy to do. So let me try to do my best to explain this. Because this has a lot to do with your, your um, inner healing. See, a lot of times people say, well, I forgive the person. But they still have something in them. And a lot of that has to do with the judging. And once they really ask forgiveness for that, then the, the clearing away of the bitter roots will happen. See, they, say, they make a choice, I forgive them. And, and I believe God honors that choice. But they still have a lot of bad feelings there that they don't need in them. And it's because they've judged that person. But once they say, Lord, forgive me for judging them, I'm not their judge, you are. Then it's like that clears the way that now you can say, Lord, now wash away any hurt and bitterness and stuff, and it'll actually be flushed out. So the judging is actually the part that holds a lot of people back. They're willing, maybe they've gotten to the place they're willing to forgive, but they're still holding judgment against others. So I'll try to explain this best I can. So a lot of people judge themselves too harshly. They feel about themselves that they're, they're no good, they're worthless, they're, and they're judging themselves. It's like, for example, secular um, rehabilitation, like Alcoholics Anonymous and other things. The first thing they tell them to do is to get up and say, you know, my name is such and such and I'm an alcoholic. Now, understand, I know that they're just trying to get people to admit their problem. I get that. But they're judging themselves. Listen, when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. You're no longer an alcoholic. Amen? And so you, you don't need to see yourself in the light of something like that. Like, oh, I'm this. No, no. Not as a Christian anymore, you're not. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, all becomes new. Just because you have some struggles or something. But, but you don't want to pass judgment on yourself. A lot of people are very hard on themselves. They speak things over themselves. They say, I'm so stupid and all this stuff. And they speak curses over themselves. And they judge themselves. And it really hinders their walk. So first off, we need to repent of that and ask forgiveness for judging ourselves. Okay, But the second thing, here's areas that people judge. And remember, Jesus said, with the same measure that you use, it will come back on you. You ever wondered why some people, they end up just like their parent? I mean, a very parent that they vowed they'd never end up like them. And they end up just like them. Because they've judged that parent, and now it's coming back on them. They're reaping it. People judge their parents. Like I said, I have, I have wonderful parents, and I thank God for them every day. I really do when I pray. But I'm going to tell you, 
that my, my parents were not perfect. I didn't expect them to be perfect. I can look throughout my life, and we've all got funny stories growing up, you know, with my parents and my brothers, but my, my family was not perfect at all. I was far from perfect. And today, you know, I, I love, I hope I've done a good job, you know, with Brianna, but I wasn't a perfect parent. You know, I don't expect it out of myself. I knew that I wasn't. And when she has kids, she's, she's not going to be a perfect parent. Because why? Because nobody's perfect. I mean, she'll be a wonderful parent. I know she will. I can tell. But she's not perfect. And so what I'm trying to make a point is, is that why do we expect it out of our parents to be perfect and not have any flaws? And then people judge them. I can't believe that they did that. You know, and they're judging them. I'll never be like that. And they're, because they're judging them, they actually end up becoming exactly like that. And let me tell you something, too. When you're an authority figure, you have to be careful how you judge people under your authority because you can oppress people and hurt people very deeply. Like a parent that may get mad at their child and may just kind of do like this and backhand them and tell them, you're an idiot, you'll never amount to anything. They don't realize that they're really hurting that child a lot deeper than just a backhand. They're, and that's an oppressing thing to them. And um, they get, trust me, God is, that makes God upset. Um, but also even people in authority positions, like I heard this one uh, story where this pastor, a lady had written something to him about how she didn't agree with what he was teaching or whatever. And that gets on every pastor's nerves when people do that sort of thing. But he mishandled it. Um, he got up on, on church when everybody was there and from the pulpit called her out and scolded her in front of everybody. You know, and that's not the way to handle stuff. You know, and that hurt that lady. Were, he could have went to her in private and, and talked to her like that. He didn't have to do that. And so that was, that's, uh, that's oppressing people under your authority and that's judging. See what I mean? It's judging them. And hurting them. And so we don't need to judge. Like I don't expect people to be perfect. I know. And let me tell you something. If you can take anything from what I'm talking about with judging. That will help you more than anything else. And it's helped me so much. In a healthy way. Make excuses for people to yourself. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say that somebody. You're, you're at a store somewhere. And somebody is really hateful and rude. The first thing that this, the tendency is. Is you're just judging them. Well they're, they're a hateful person. You know, if you got to know them, they probably aren't. They're just having a bad day. You see what I mean? But it's, it's typical to do that. We've got to catch ourselves because how many times? So let me, let me say this before I move on. Make excuses in your mind toward people like, you know, I'm not going to judge them. They're probably just having a really bad day. They could be going through something I don't understand. They could be going through something at home. Maybe the, one of their parents is, is battling cancer right now, and they just found out. And maybe, maybe their, their spouse has been threatened in divorce or something. Or maybe at work the boss is putting pressure that they can't handle, and, and they're just stressed to the max. You know? And it's like if we start trying to be like that, instead of judging people, just kind of making excuses. Like, you know what, well, maybe they're just not themselves right now. Just let it go. That helps a lot. But how easy it is and how everybody's done this, They'll see neighbors that, you know, they live next to their neighbors, and they'll judge them all the time. Well, you know, they're like this. Or, and they don't, you don't even really know them, but you're already judging how they are. Or judging your coworkers. 
well, she must be like this, he must be like that, and just judging them, and you don't really even know, and even if they are not right about something, it's not our place to judge them. What about people that come to church as sinners and imperfect, you know? It's not our place to be judgmental and make them feel rejected, is it? All right, it's not condoning sin. You preach against sin, you stand against sin, and you don't tolerate sin. If people have unrepentant sin, they, they, they're not going to stay, you know. But I'm just saying that you're not judgmental. Somebody could come in off the street that's never known God, and, they, and they're, they're dressed seductively or whatever, and they come into church, and they're like, I came to try to know God. Now, what, what do you think God would think about a church, though, that would be real judgmental of them and say something like, you know, get out of here, we don't want your kind here. Um, but anyway, people do this all the time. They judge their spouses. They judge their siblings. They judge ministers. They judge churches. How many people have judged ministers and churches? They'll see even people on TV, and they're already judging them. They don't even know them. They've never talked to them. But they sit back and judge them, maybe just because they're, they're taking up an offering or something. They've already preconceived in their mind that this guy's a big thief and all this stuff. And they're totally judging them, and they don't even know them. They've judged other Christians, judged politicians. Everybody needs to be careful with some of this stuff. There's a lot of jokes we could crack because I don't agree with politicians either. But it's not our place to judge. There's a difference between not agreeing and judging. Also, other drivers down the road, you know, (laughs) we joke around about that. But if people are judging others, it's not good. And coworkers and neighbors, I mentioned these, different races, you know, the root of racism has a lot to do with this, doesn't it? Judging other races. Now, here's a big one, though. People that have hurt us, people that have hurt our friends and family, those that have wronged us, a lot of times there's a tendency to judge people that have hurt us. People that have hurt our church or minister. People, and also, as I mentioned before, appearances or lack of of sanctification in our life or sinful behavior, it's easy to judge. I remember there was a, a minister that was telling me that um, he was at this meeting, and there was another minister that came in. Now, this meeting was actually really formal. And the pastor came in dressed really casual to preach. He was asked to speak. And the guy was sitting out in the audience and was thinking, man, I can't believe he, he came in like that. That's kind of disrespectful to this house, you know. And the very first thing the speaker says is, listen, I'm really sorry I'm, I'm dressed casual. He had a, his mother had had to be rushed to the emergency room, and he was with her and had to go straight from there there. And so the guy that was telling this story that was judging him said, I felt like this big after he said that, you know. See, how easy it is to judge people without knowing the whole story. And people do it all the time. But just remember, when you judge others, it comes back. And it's just like judging parents. When you judge parents for whatever, and you're critical of them, the Bible says to honor your father and mother, and that's definitely not honoring them if you're judging them. So don't be surprised if the very thing you hate in them, you don't turn out the same way if you don't repent of that. And let me give you a few other things, and then we're going to pray. But here's some tendencies. Bitter judgments. This is interesting to me because just as people have hurt us, 
a lot of times if people don't allow themselves to be healed by the Lord, they will actually project that on other people. Like, for example, let's say that um, a woman was abused by a husband, and maybe he, he left her for another woman or whatever, and she really got hurt. It was really bad. Then it ends in divorce. He was unfaithful to her. He slept around, you know, and all that. So she ends up remarrying somebody else. But she takes it out on him. Bitter judgment. So y'all hear me. She takes it out on him what this other guy did. And so bitter judgments is where you project things on other people. You're kind of judging them based on what has happened to you, but it's nothing to do with them. It's lashing out at the wrong people. And also, rejection mentalities. How many people have been rejected and hurt in life, and then they go back, after they've been hurt and everything, they, they move on in life, and now they think that everybody is rejecting them. They go into situations with a mentality like, okay, you know, I, they already see themselves as being rejected going in. It's a rejection mentality. And also, this uh, a lot of people use these phrases, but like an orphan, rejection, or a victim mentality. And these, are, these really plague people. An orphan mentality is that nobody wants me. A victim mentality is that everybody's out to hurt me. And a rejection mentality is that people are going to reject me. And so people go into situations with people they've never even met, and they've already, they come in with these bitter judgments and this, this mentality like, I won't fit in. Nobody's really going to like me. I'm going to end up hurt. And you already think they're rejecting you. And that's not a healthy way to be. Amen? And so be aware that the enemy tries to do this to people. And so pray that God will help cleanse out those old mentalities out of your mind. Did you know that it's already proven and science has proven this? If you go to play like the keyboard, the, as you keep playing the keys over and over, that your mind has these neurons that will form patterns in your mind that fit what you're doing. And so you begin to adjust to that. You keep doing it over and over, and it forms these patterns within you. People have formed, because they're doing it over and over and over every day, they have formed patterns, strongholds within themselves a feeling like I don't fit in anywhere I go. It's an orphan. They're a victim. Every, every time I try anything, I end up getting hurt. They have this victim mentality. And everywhere they go, people's already rejected me before I even get there. And they've over and over had that mentality, and it's formed a stronghold in them that causes them to act in a way that actually does cause rejection in their life. And there's also some people that are bitter toward God and they blame God for things when God has never done anything wrong to anybody. Amen? So we need to let that go. People blame God. They get bitter toward God. They judge, they're like passing judgment against God when he didn't do anything. God has given free will to mankind. So, I mean, there's all these horrible things going on in the world, but it's because people have a free will. It's not God causing it. And so people have these learned behaviors that they've learned and they practice in their life of being fearful, 
being angry, being lustful, having addictions, being prideful, judging others. And it's these patterns that they keep doing over and over and over, and it's formed strongholds in their life that by the power of God, God is wanting to tear those things down. Where there used to be fear, now there's faith. Where there used to be anger, now there's patience. Where there used to be lust, now there's purity. Where there used to be addictions, now there's freedom. Where there was pride, now there's humility. Where there used to be judging others, you've repented of that. But God wants to help tear down those strongholds in people that they've allowed so that they can be healthy emotionally. And secular problems are not getting the job done because they don't deal with the spiritual root. That's why they only rely on just human willpower, which is very limited. And so they don't work. So for marriages and families to be healthy, there's got to be forgiveness, there's got to be deliverance, clearing away the old, and there's got to be inner healing so that we can be whole. So how do we get healed? Here it is. Psalms 34 verse 18 is a promise the Lord gives us. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I want you to take this to heart tonight. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Don't you want the Lord to be close to you? If you've been wounded in life, the Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those that are crushed in spirit. Isn't that a powerful scripture? So he will save those that are crushed in spirit. So people that have been brokenhearted and they've had a crushed spirit, they've been deeply wounded in life, the Bible promises us that God will save you. What does that mean? All right. In the Greek, remember the word salvation in Greek is the word sozo. And it means to save, heal, deliver, preserve, protect, do well, prosper, make whole, all of that. Everything Jesus paid for at Calvary is summed up in that Greek word sozo. And so when you see that, and it says, and you will be saved, like all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that word saved is the word sozo. And so it's more than just, see, people get a mentality like, okay, well, he saved us from our sin. Or they even get a mentality like there's a kid in the street, and you reach out and pull him out from a, out of the way of an oncoming car, and you saved him. But it's far more than that. Sozo means that God heals, he delivers, he protects, he preserves, he makes to do well. All of that, everything Jesus paid for at the cross is wrapped up in that word sozo. So now when you take from the Greek and you go into the Old Testament and you look at the Hebrew, you know what the Hebrew counterpart for sozo is? The word Yeshua. It's the word Jesus, salvation. And this is the root word right here for Yeshua, the word Yasha, and it means save. So what God's saying here is, I will save those Christian spirits. I will heal them. I will deliver them. I will protect them. I will preserve them. I will cause them to do well. All of that is wrapped up in that word. So I gave you a, a prayer here, but I'm going to show you there's three things to write down right here, okay, in your paper. Number one is to forgive. Write this down. Number one is to forgive. That's the first thing. Lord, I forgive these people. You may need to really take this to heart and do this for weeks and maybe months until you feel like it's really been thorough. But, Lord, I forgive this person that has wronged me. Then number two, the second thing is judging. And you say, Lord, forgive me for judging them. 
And let the blood of Jesus, let the cross get in between me and any sowing and reaping. Because the Bible says if you judge, it'll come back on you. So, Lord, let the cross block any type of sowing and reaping. That's the judging part. And then number three, the third thing, is bitterness. Lord, wash by your blood, Jesus. Wash out of me any of the hurt and the pain and the bitterness. If you'll do those three things in that order, if you just say, Lord, take away the bitterness, if you haven't forgiven people, it's not going to work. It's that order. Lord, I forgive them. Forgive me for judging them because I've passed judgment. I've been critical of them, and I've judged them. Forgive me for that. Let Let the cross block any sowing and reaping. Now I'm in a place where God is willing to wash me from these things. So, Lord, the hurt and the pain, any bitterness, any resentment in me, wash that out of me, cleanse me and purify me so that I can be healed and made whole. If you'll do that, those are the three things that will radically change your life. So I gave you some things to pray about here. I gave you kind of a sample prayer that you can do on your own. But here's what I want to close with. Remember, I opened with humility. We're about to pray here in a minute, okay? (laughs) But let me say this about humility. As I feel, as you guys are getting positioned there, I really feel like that God is wanting healthy families in the days to come in River of Life. He's wanting to heal broken hearts. He's wanting to heal marriages. He's wanting to heal family structures. This is the key, what I'm giving you today. I'm giving you the Bible. The Bible is the key to your healing. Okay, so I talked about humility. This is the greatest key right here to having a healthy home. Proverbs 13, verse 10 says, where there's strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Listen to me, where there is strife, somebody's in pride. The Bible says so. You can go around the room and ask people, are you the one in pride? Are you the one? <laughs> we all know how that's going to go. No, I'm not the one in pride. That's you, buddy. You know, We all know everybody's going to deny it, but somebody's in pride. Because the Bible says that where there's strife, there's pride. But it says wisdom is found in those who take advice. See, somebody that's prideful has a very hard time being corrected. Like constructive criticism, gentle correction, just trying to tell them, hey, you're wrong about this. You know, they have a hard time receiving that. And their, their pride gets hurt and they get angry. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stirs up anger. <laughs> Everybody get that? Okay, uh, you remember I said to chisel something in stone? All right, this is another. You need to make like some, get a big piece of stone. <laughs> chisel some of this, all right? Put this up on your dresser. But Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And then Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know what that means? In, in Jewish culture, somebody is a child, they're, they're watched over by their mother, but when a son, when a, when a young boy becomes, he gets bar mitzvah and he becomes a man, he would begin now to work with his father as an apprentice. And now he could start being entrusted with authority. And so what the Lord is saying here, this is so powerful. He's saying this, if I can paraphrase, 
Blessed are the peacemakers because I can trust them with authority because they've learned how to be peacemakers. They've matured. Does that make sense? They've matured to a place where they can help be peacemakers and so I can entrust them with authority. That's really what you can take from that scripture. They'll be called sons of God. All right, James 4, 6, God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm going to explain grace as I close. But Matthew 7, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So here's some things about a humble versus pride. A humble person will be quick and sincere to ask forgiveness. But a prideful person cannot do this. They don't like to ask forgiveness. Number two, a humble person will be more concerned with the board in their own eye than they will be the speck in their brother's eye. That's a humble person. A humble person will be a peacemaker with a soft answer that turns away wrath. He'll be a peacemaker and have a soft answer. But a prideful person will be angry and quick to fight. A humble person can take constructive criticism, but a prideful person cannot. They, they get very upset. So here's the last couple things. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only which, that which will benefit those that listen. We need to change the way we talk in our homes if you want a happy home. How many times have we caught ourselves being so negative about others? Complaining, negative, griping. It almost gets to a bondage to where a husband or a wife can't, can't hardly see any good in their spouse. All they see is the negative. And that's what they talk about. But yet they had to have seen something good because they married them in the first place. So there's something there. But they get after marriage to where they can't see that anymore. They only see the negative. And that's all they talk about. You listen to them and they just gripe about negative. If we could start speaking in a way that builds each other up, compliment one another, build up, that's huge. That can change the atmosphere of a home right there. Make it a point to try to find something on a daily basis that you can just simply compliment your spouse and compliment your kids. Tell them you're proud of them. Find something to compliment and build them up. All right? And the last couple things is this, this right here is really very important what I'm about to say. Remember our Second Corinthians twelve nine, where Paul was saying, I've been going through all of this stuff and he was crying out to God. And God told him, said, look, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You know what God's grace is? Man, this is so misused and abused in a lot of churches. A lot of people don't, they don't have a clue what grace really is. They think, and the Bible even says it, as plain as you can say it, that do not try to use God's grace as a license to sin. But yet, that's exactly what people do all the time. They manipulate and twist it. Forgiveness and mercy is where you deserve God. You've sinned and you deserve hell, and God forgives you. 
That's forgiveness and mercy. God shows mercy, okay? Grace is God's favor. You know what grace is? Grace is the Spirit of God living within you to empower you to do the impossible. Meaning this, you used to be somebody before Christ that would look with lust and not even think anything about it. So you become a Christian. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to change. You can't change. But you know what? The Spirit of God living in you will empower you to do the impossible. There's no way that you could do it in your human willpower, but the Spirit of God can empower you to do it. He, his grace is sufficient for you. So as long as you're humble before God, he gives grace to the humble. You say, Lord, how can I change? How can I be healed? How can I be the spouse I need to be? How can my home become what it's supposed to be? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Humble yourself before God and say, God, I can't do this, but I'm asking you to empower me and change me. Empower me to help me become what I need to be. And his grace is sufficient. Lord, I can't, I've had such a, a problem with having this orphan mentality or, or judging people or being so negative. But if you'll humble yourself, say, God, forgive me. I'm asking you for the grace to change. The Holy Spirit living in you will rise up and empower you to change. That's why it says these things in the scripture. You know, where Jesus said, you've heard it said, you can't do this, but I say, and he raises the bar, because the Spirit of God lives within us, and he empowers us to do the impossible. So the Bible says, all things are possible to him that believes. So some people say, I don't know if my, my family seems like it's beyond repair. It's not true. All things are possible to him that believes. If God could take the chaotic mess in Genesis chapter 1 where there was darkness and the earth was, was in this, looked like a destroyed condition, and God could take that and make the beautiful Garden of Eden out of it, God can fix your marriage or fix your home. But we need humility and we need grace. That would be what this sermon really is about, is that we clear away all that hurt and pain in us and we let God heal us, but also that we humble ourselves and we, we have humility in our home and grace. We need humility and we need his grace. Grace to stop doing the things we used to do. So here in a moment, we're going to pray for people. Let's go ahead, go ahead and shut down recording. Well, let me, let me lead people in a prayer and then we'll shut down recordings. This is a generic prayer, but I, I want you to take these notes home and I want you to pray about these things yourself. How many of you guys will say, Pastor Scott, listen, I will, I will be not only a hearer, but I'll be a doer of the word. I'll take this home and pray about it and apply it to my life. How many will agree with me to do that? Okay. Because there's one thing to sit in here and nod your head and go, amen, that's fine. But it's a whole other thing to go home and really pray about it and really start dealing with this stuff. Okay. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want everybody to pray this. Lord, I choose to forgive all the people that have hurt me or disappointed me. I forgive them now. And I ask you to forgive me for judging them, judging neighbors, co-workers, judging my parents, my family, my spouse, children, anyone I've judged. 
forgive me, Lord. And I ask you that the blood of Jesus and the cross get in between me and any sowing and reaping that comes from judging and will block that. And now that I've confessed my sins and I forgive others, I'm asking you, wash out of me right now all the hurt and pain, any bitter roots. Wash this out of me. Cleanse me and fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the beginning. But keep going over these prayers as people come to mind. Somebody may come to mind from years ago. Lord, I forgive them. Forgive me for judging them. And just kind of go through that that prayer systematically. And I promise you, as you do this, you're going to feel that hurt of the past start getting washed out of you. Just keep doing it. Keep forgiving people. Lord, forgive me for judging them. Let that be blocked, that sowing and reaping. Now wash the hurt and pain out of me. Wash this bitterness out. I want to be healed and whole.